Thank you for tuning in to Bit Party. My name is Brendan Cotta. I'm Jared Cotta. And I'm Marshall Cotta. Happy Halloween, boys. It's the spooky month again. Finally! I know, it's my favorite time of year, hands down. Halloween is my favorite holiday. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Not for... Not when it comes to, like, my favorite time to be around my family and my favorite time to, like... That's definitely, like, Christmas, Hanukkah, that time. Yeah, definitely. But when it comes to just, like, the things that I like and the, the beginning of fall and that kind of changing of the season... Nothing gets me in the mood for Halloween more than watching scary movies. And uh, and that's why we have a bit party movie podcast. Love it. Yeah. yeah. And we get to watch spooky movies, but uh, we'll, we'll get into what, we're, what we watched uh, for this episode in just a little bit. But I, I just want to ask, because it is the, the Halloween uh, season, and uh, this is the first episode uh, in October, and we're going to do another one. Uh, but I want to know right now, because you should be planning ahead. Oh, yeah. What Halloween costume are you going to be wearing this year? I got a really good one that I'm very excited about. Oh. So when I was planning this out in February, I was thinking, you know, it's so hard to pick a good costume in Miami because no matter what, you're going to get drenched in sweat. You got to find something that works in the heat. And my thinking immediately went to Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. Perfect for a, a tropical climate. Very sexy. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Halloween is all about being sexy. We all know that. Wow, that is a really, really good costume. I mean, Jeff Goldblum is obviously Bit Party's most beloved Hollywood personality. And I think that you could go on and on each year with a different Goldblum costume. That's true. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. keep that in the back of your mind. That's a really good idea. But his one of his most iconic appearances is definitely the Jurassic Park open shirt, busted up leg. Oh yeah. Sitting there all sensual like <laughs> light finds a way. Yeah, that's that's a good one, Brent. Thank you. Marshall, what what are you going to be for Halloween? Banking on it being a little cooler here in San Diego than over there in Miami. Um I was thinking about being Mr. Meeseeks from <laughs> Rick and Morty. Whoa, that is fantastic. That's a really good one. How are you going to pull that off? I don't know. Get some kind of blue morph suit or blue onesie and, and make it Mr. Meeseeks. Oh, that would be so great. <laughs> that's a really good idea. Uh, that, that's an iconic Rick and Morty character. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at me! <laughs> There's definitely, there's definitely some good Mr. Meeseeks uh, at Comic-Con every year. So I would, I'll have to see pictures of that, Marsh. That yeah, that'll really be good. funny. Yes. I have been planning this costume for some time, and I really want to do it this year. I want to be Rod Serling. Oh, interesting. Who is the, That's a hard one to pull off. It is. He's, he, for those of you that don't know, is the founder and CEO of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> CEO <laughs> Twilight Zone LLC. <laughs> he introduced every episode of the Twilight Zone, which is an awesome show for those of you who haven't watched it. Perfect time of year to watch it. Oh, yeah. And... What is complicated about that costume is that all of those episodes were in black and white. Mm-hmm. And I want my body to be painted in black and white. Whole body. <laughs> Whole body. Everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> Seems unnecessary, but I admire your commitment. But uh, anything, any skin that's showing, and he wears a suit, so it's not too much to cover. But anything showing, I want it to be in black and white, so I appear to be a black and white character. Yeah. That's a great one. Yeah, I like that. Thanks, man. I'm excited. Thanks, man. 
I I don't want to hold off any longer on introducing the movie that we're watching, mm-hmm. but then we're going to have to go right into what else we're watching. Yes. Uh, yeah. Right now. So without further ado, Marshall, could you introduce the movie that we watched for this episode? For this Halloween episode, we watched Coraline. Making up a song about Coraline. She's a peach, she's a doll, she's a pal of mine. Coraline. Coraline. Yeah. Coraline is a, it's kind of an independent uh, film, although the effort put into it was very much massive, massive. Yeah. yeah. Oh yes. It was directed by Henry uh, Selick, and we'll get a little bit more into to his uh, Hollywood past in, in just a little bit. Like I said, I wanted to introduce the movie so that we wouldn't leave our our audience wondering anymore. <laughs> even though they definitely clicked on the, they saw it on the title. They saw it on the title. They saw it on the title. Okay. <laughs> Regardless, I want to now know what you are all watching when you're not watching Coraline or the other spooky movie that we're going to be doing this October. Marshall, do you want to do you want to take this one first? I will definitely go first on this one. Yes. They recently put the new Invader Zim on Netflix. So oh, I nice. yeah, was lucky yeah, yeah. enough to watch that one. Yeah, it was oh, uh, quite, quite fun, yeah. It, was it, it good? It was good. It was good. Invader Zim was and will probably always be my favorite Nickelodeon show. Yes, yeah, definitely. After Ren and Stimpy That's and it, Rocco's yeah. Modern Life. There you go. Yeah, there it's you all go. tied in with those. <laughs> now, they're all equal plane, on an equal plane to me. I, Invader Zim was often considered a little too edgy for Nick. Yeah, Invader Zim, you could almost say that it came like eight years too late. Because coming around the same time as Ren and Stimpy, it might have fallen right in with that crowd. But yeah. It Possibly was definitely, so, yeah. or you could say that it was eight years too early because oh, there, yeah. there's a lot of shows out there, especially like on Cartoon Network. You know, yeah. we're talking about Rick and Morty. That's an animated show that's really edgy. Invader Zim really could have fallen into that more Adult Swim style of show. That's really if true. that existed at that time, or if it had been picked up by Cartoon Network. Instead, it went to Nickelodeon, and they tried to premise it as a show for like kids, alongside of Angry Beavers and Doug and all those. Movie yeah, yeah, shows. and those kids were horrified. And I think that it was really quite a lot more terrifying than any of the other shows on on TV at the time. Definitely, yeah. Which makes it a good choice for Halloween. Also, fun to note, it has a really good Halloween episode, if you haven't seen it. The Halloween episode of Invader Zim is spectacular. Lies! The filthy earth boy lies! Well, I'm I'm really excited about what I've been watching, uh, if you don't mind. Oh, please. Um, Mm. I've been watching... It better be about Halloween. Ooh, it's <laughs> it's tied to the movie, but it's not Halloween. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. I'm shaking my head, but that's okay. <laughs> Proceed. I'm watching Amazon's original series, uh, uh, Good Omens. Interesting. Good Omens is based off of a book written by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. And Neil Gaiman's the man who also wrote Coraline. Oh, wow. Mm. I said in Arthur, yeah, yeah. Tied in very nicely. Thank you. I said in our Arthur Ragnarok episode that I'm a huge Neil Gaiman fan, and uh, I read Good Omens right before I started watching the show, and it's so good. Like, I I always think people should read his work, mm-hmm. but if you just watch the show, like you got it. They cover uh, everything. It's it's really well made. Awesome. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so, like, bright, colorful, funny. You watched it, Marsh? Yes. 
Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It has a. It does it have a similar feel to Coraline? Not really. It feels a lot more like uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay. Is the closest comparison that I can. Did make. he write that as well? No, no. I think Terry Pratchett was heavily influenced by it, but that was written by another British author. Okay. Yeah. Right, cool. I have not been watching anything that's particularly good. <laughs> I, I'm glad that you guys are having a good time watching your your pop culture. <laughs> Our good pop culture. Your good pop culture. I unfortunately selected the show Dark on Netflix. <laughs> Why is it unfortunate? I don't recommend this show, but I've been watching a couple of the episodes. I don't know if I'll finish the the first season, but to me, Dark is like if you let a German man write a Stranger Things fetish porn. Oh God, I would never, I would never do that. <laughs> I would never let that happen. It's really no. kind of. It's got like an upside down world motif to it. It has like this. You go through this passage and you get, it, people keep getting lost, and, but it's 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 creepy in German it's, at okay. the same time. <laughs> and there's like a there's like a, a nuclear lab the same way that there's like a lab in the town of of uh, oh, in, in Stranger Things. Yeah, like there's a lot of similarities, but it's just like it just feels more perverse. Maybe it's because like it's German. <laughs> yeah, it's un- undoubtedly because it's German. Like even the bo- it's it's dubbed in English, but the body language is just like. <laughs> I don't like it. I'm not going to keep watching it. I'm not a big fan of this show, Dark, on Netflix. Um, so is it just the perversion, or is the writing you wouldn't even recommend it for well, that side? Well, what I would say is that it's hard to gauge the writing per- specifically because it is being dubbed. Oh, yeah, that's fair. So there are some lines that get dropped and, and that come across as, as not... They're not delivered properly. I, I don't understand why... Why can't these actors put the correct emotion into oh, yeah. the scene? Yeah, it, like always seems just a little bit off. That's the easiest understand. to translate. Exactly. Like if if nothing else, then yell when you're supposed to yell and be sad <laughs> when you're supposed to be sad. You're watching the film. You're just reading the lines. I I, I, I don't I don't I don't like it. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to move on to something else. I'll have a good show for uh, the next episode. I nice. Promise. Nice. There we okay. Go. I. I think it's about time to get into the the summary of the plot. I agree. I, I thought that this was such, such a good movie. Uh, really, really fun. And like we said, it took a tremendous amount of effort. Yes. Brandon, do you want to go into some of the details about the effort it took? Usually when we're, we're about to talk about a movie, I like to look up on IMDb and other websites little bits of trivia. With maybe two exceptions, every single... Uh, a uh, trivia point is about how much of a Herculean feat it was to make this movie. <laughs> true. Wow. <laughs> totally true. Um, yeah, so it was shot over the course of 18 months with two years of pre-production. Yeah. Because they had to make, like, all these different models, all these different faces. They couldn't even start making the movie. <laughs> took two years to be able to get all of the puppets in order. Yeah. Two For Coraline... Years? Yeah, for Coraline alone, there were 24 different puppets. <laughs> so this, this stop-motion movie, it was the longest until the next film uh, that was made by this group, Cubo and the Two Strings. Oh, I actually heard out. really good things mm. about that movie. Yeah, I really oh. want to watch that one. But yeah, so this, was, this movie at, a hun- at one hour and 41 minutes was, was the longest to date of a, really? of a full-blown stop-motion film. I Obviously, totally there was that. a lot of 
films out there that had incorporated some amount of stop motion, such as King Kong and Clash of the Titans. Sure. Uh, but this full-blown stop motion, so crazy how long they had to work on it. And one thing that was cool, though, is that for Coraline's expressions, mm-hmm. they did a lot of 3D printing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's Coraline. Caroline what? Coraline. Coraline Jones. Hmm. So let me get let me get into this for you, Bren. Get into it, Marshall. Get into this. Let me get into this. The movie opens up with Coraline Jones and her parents moving into a new apartment building called the Pink Palace Apartment. And this is in Ashland, Oregon. They have just recently moved from Pontiac, Michigan. Oh, okay. Okay. And for some weird reason, I don't know why, because they were located in Pontiac, Michigan before this, her parents are these gardening catalog editors. Anyways, like in most childhood films, the titular character, who is a, a young girl, Coraline, she is sad and upset that she has moved from away from her friends yeah. and away from her, what she knows to this really drizzly and, you know, so far boring town of Ashland. Pretty isolated, only like adults around her. That's also yeah. true. Well, adults and also a neighbor, YB. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who she has sort of a, uh, uh, sweet and sour relationship with, I'll say. They do a good, yeah, they're, that's true. They do a good job with their relationship. I'm YB. YB Lovett. Coraline is compelled by her father to stop bugging them while they finish their catalog and to instead explore the house and figure out what is all the secret ins and outs of the Pink Palace. Yeah, yeah. She has to, her dad asked her, like, count all the doors and windows and list everything that's blue just to kind of give her a task. Exactly. It's around that time that YB comes to her and provides her with a new present, which is a Coraline-looking, it looks exactly like her, <laughs> rag doll with button eyes. And it, it looks creepily like her. Yeah, yeah, like what she's wearing that day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> The apartment building also has these eccentric neighbors, Mr. Babinski, who is obsessed with getting a mouse circus put together. (laughs) I'm Caroline Jones. And I am the amazing Babinski. And also Miss Spink and Miss Forcible, who were once famous actresses, clearly burlesque actresses, which is a fun uh, little component of it. Uh, but have now aged and are are, are uh, just old, eccentric, uh, creepy old ladies. Yeah. April, I think you're being followed. It's the new neighbor, Miriam. Caroline. Later on that night, Coraline falls asleep in her house, but she is stirred awake by a little stuffed mouse. And it lures her into the other world, which is a hallway leading to some other part of the house. Yeah, a super cool effect that's like a tunnel unfurling out in front of her. Definitely cool. Right. Yeah, which is incredible considering it's, it's practical effects. Exactly, the whole movie yeah. is practical effects. Yeah. In this other world, Coraline meets her other mother and other father. And they look just like her real parents, except they have button eyes. My mother doesn't have... Buttons? Do you like them? I'm your other mother, silly. Now go tell your other father that supper's ready. This is a slightly spooky movie, so that that is sort of a horror component of it. Yes. But they quickly become kind and loving versions of her parents who are pretty, in the real world, off-putting. Yes. Or not off-putting, but dismissive. There's a, a, a joke when she's in the real world... 
about how her parents do gardening work, but they hate dirt. Mm-hmm. These parents have this flowing, like, beautiful garden mm-hmm. that's shaped like Coraline's head. They always cook for her. Yes. They are, yes. like, really caring. The father is musically talented and fun, yeah. and the mom is always so loving. So we think. Yeah. Coraline is visited by the other world's YB, and other YB is, is a mute, which yeah. <laughs> is much to her liking. She also meets the other Mr. Babinski, and his mouse circus is really awesome, and she yeah. also meets the other Miss Spink and Forcible, and they are still doing theater, yeah. which is really yeah. fun for her. They have, like, a big stage in their house. She's having a great time, and but every time she goes to bed in the other world, she ends up waking back up in Ashland, Oregon, in her boring, drab pink palace in the real world yes yeah Mm -hmm. at this point in the movie you're thinking man i I hope that she really ends up in the other world you would assume so you're probably also thinking this doesn't sound much like a horror movie (laughs) well just wait (laughs) just wait (laughs) on one of her last trips into the other world Coraline is confronted by her other mother who says we're ready to keep you in this world but you just have to do one thing And she curiously asks what that is, and that's when she opens up a little box, and it contains two button eyes. (laughs) And a needle. (laughs) And a needle. Needle and thread, yeah. (laughs) And that is what she's going to have to sew into her eyes to become a part of this other world. No way! You're not sewing buttons in my eyes! Oh, but we need a yes if you want to stay here. Well, Coraline is obviously a little hesitant about that because she doesn't want to lose her eyes. And at that point, she decides that she's going to maybe head back to the real world and stay there for good. Yeah. This is where the movie takes a turn. This is where it has started to move into spooky land. Oh, yeah. The other mother is not particularly pleased with this, but she lets her go to bed. However, this time, Coraline does not wake up back in her real bed. Mm -hmm. She's stuck now in the other world. And her only link back to the real world is the black cat that was originally Wybie's. Yeah. And is voiced by... Bit Party favorite, Keith David. Big Bit Party favorite. (laughs) You probably think this world is a dream come true. But you're wrong. But Keith David, or the cat... (laughs) (laughs) Just Keith David wandering around. Tries to warn her that things are not as they seem. And as Coraline tries to slip back into the real world, she is becoming more and more distressed by this other mother. And the other mother eventually turns into this horrible witch-like character called the Beldam. Yes. Yeah. And she she learns a little bit more about the Beldam when she actually meets some of her old victims, which is three other children who have buttons sewn into their eyes and are ghosts. Pretty terrifying. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yes. Coraline is obviously really upset, but she is saved by the other YB. And she heads back into the real world only to find that her parents have been kidnapped by the Beldam now. Coraline has to go back to the other world one last time to save her parents. And she is convinced by the cat, Keith David, David. (laughs) that the only way that she's going to be able to defeat the Beldam is if she challenges her to a game. And the game that the Beldam comes up with is that Coraline has to find the ghost's eyes, the ghost children's eyes, that are now in the form of different marbles and items, and it's gross. Yeah, it's, it's disgusting, but it sets their little child souls free if she finds them. And so she goes on sort of this video game-esque quest where she has to defeat some sort of boss in each level. Uh-huh. The, the, her, her other father, yeah. uh, Miss Forcible and Spink, 
and Mr. Babinski and all of his rats. Yep. And she eventually collects all of those buttons, but her last task is to find her parents. And she does eventually figure out where they are. They're hiding in a snow globe that uh, that's where the Bell Dam has put them. So the Bell Dam is furious because Coraline has beat her at her game. <laughs> but there, and there's a last scene, a last standoff. And luckily, Coraline is able to escape with the help of Keith David. <laughs> the small naked Keith David that roams this world. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the real world. <laughs> He'll show up if you need him. And this time she makes it back to she makes it back to reality and uh she's excited to see her parents. However, the Bell Dam is not completely dead. Her hand escapes into reality. Yeah. And there is just one last thing that Coraline has to do, and she eventually throws that severed hand down the well. I yeah. know that it's getting a little trippy at this point. But because, yeah, you're gonna have to yeah. stick with me and I hope that you all watch it. The for- movie starts very slow, but it picks up really quickly. And it just goes from there. Yeah. It, it's a great it's a great movie. Yes. The, the end is Coraline and her parents working in the garden. Her parents uh, having a little gathering of all of the other neighbors and, and YB and YB's grandma who mm-hmm. owns the place and who was traumatized by the Bell Dam many years before. Yes. And it, it's a very happy, uh, exciting ending. And I think that the Bell Dam is finally defeated. We hope. Yeah. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. You were right, Coraline. I really hate dirt. But the tulips look nice. Thanks, Mom. So, yeah, I mean, it's a really cool film. And, well, I guess I don't remember so well if it got the press that maybe it deserved. Yeah, this might not be our most well-seen movie that we've done on Bit Party. Yeah. But I think its stylistic choices make it definitely worth seeing and worth talking about. Because it is beautifully made. Yeah. I I wonder if it would have done better if it wasn't released in, like, February. Because to me, it feels like a Halloween-esque movie or a winter movie. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I don't know. To to me, that's what the feeling is. I think it was a perfect choice for us for Bit Party. Uh, But like you said, it's not necessarily our most famous film. Definitely. There's something I want to talk about regarding Henry Selleck, a little bit of information that I think a lot of people don't know. Yeah. Henry Selleck directed Coraline. Mm -hmm. He also directed Nightmare Before Christmas. What? Yes, this is very true. A lot of people, and myself included, until I started looking into this movie, associate Nightmare Before Christmas with Tim Burton as a director. And that is not true, although he is the writer and the The producer. producer. Yeah, Yeah. he had a lot of, like, he had a, a big hand in the animation part of it and creating the characters. So from from what I was reading, The Nightmare Before Christmas was kind of, it was a passion project for Tim Burton. Mm -hmm. But at the time, he was too busy working on Batman Returns with Danny DeVito. Starring Danny DeVito. Starring Danny DeVito. He did Batman colon Danny DeVito one. (laughs) And he was too busy with that to direct The Nightmare Before Christmas. So Disney pulled Henry Selleck out of relative obscurity to have him work on it, but put Tim Burton's name on it because he was a bigger uh, celebrity at the time. Yeah. Okay, very interesting. Henry Selleck is actually quite famous for his uh, stop-motion films. So besides yeah. doing Nightmare Before Christmas, he also did James and the Giant Peach before wow. doing Coraline. Yeah, that's uh, really and James impressive. and the Giant Peach is probably one of my 
besides the big ones, Nightmare Before Christmas, this movie, yeah. James and the Giant Peach was probably one of my first favorite stop motion films. Really? Yeah, and, and I was just wondering, do you guys have any other uh, favorite stop motion uh, movies? Brendan, I'm sure yours is Chicken Run. <laughs> <laughs> I assumed they used real chickens in that one. It looks so realistic. Um, actually, I, I really like Corpse Bride. Okay, so that, that one, one actually is Tim Burton. That one's, yeah, that one's an actual Tim Burton, and that's probably one of the last Tim Burton movies that I remember really liking and really feeling like it had his creepy feel. Interesting. I would, I would probably go with Corpse Bride slash Chicken Run. Tim Burton's Chicken Run. His other most famous film. <laughs> Actually, when I, when I really think about it, I think one of my new favorites is the Lego movie. Really? Yeah. All huh. of the Lego movies are great. I don't know if they're oh, fully yeah. stop motion or if they uh, do a lot of computer animation as well. <laughs> but uh, they're but so well written. They're so well written. Yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. They are. I wonder why Henry Selick does this to himself. He's kind of the stop motion guy, but they take so long and so much like monotonous moving of pieces. It must be such an ordeal to like get started on one of these. Yeah, he does a good job. <laughs> he does a really good job. He does a really good job. I hope it's worth it, Henry Selleck, because we really like your work. Guys, I was wondering, being the Halloween season and all that, what did you think was the scariest part of this movie? That's a good question, Marsh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. What would be the scariest thing if uh, if I was in Coraline's shoes? Yeah. Oh, I, I definitely I, know that the scariest thing if I were in the like in her shoes. There's this very scary part where Coraline is about to escape through the small door at the very end, and the Bell Dam's world is kind of falling around her, and the floor underneath Coraline's feet turns into this spider web that uh -huh. falls straight down. Because the Bell Dam, in her true form, has robotic spider legs that she uses to scurry around like a bug. Yeah. And in order to get back to the door, she has to climb through, being pursued by the Bell Dam very quickly up this spider web. It looked like a nightmare that you would have as a kid about, like, a playground, trying to climb up this rope thing. Oh, yeah. Thing. Like, it was, it's, it's very scary, and it's really well done. I think that maybe one of the most terrifying parts is her interaction with the other Mr. Babinski when oh, he's yeah. like his voice and when he's being kind of puppeted by the rats, <laughs> I think is mm -hmm. like probably a, a, that's a really spooky part. He's got perfect that for slurred the, like double voice. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. perfect for the Halloween season. Yeah. I don't understand. Of course you don't understand. You're just a copy she made of the real Mr. B. Not even that anymore. Speaking of spooky moments. <laughs> Good transition. <laughs> I just hit the perfect transition. <laughs> we got a perfect transition! Hit the, hit the button. <laughs> Speaking of spooky things, I'm ready to hear your very spooky movie pitches. All right, great. I'm ready for it. <laughs> I feel like you're not ready, Brent. I'm not ready. Well, then why don't you go first? Show I me, feel show like me you're. I feel like you're afraid that mine will be better than yours. <laughs> I don't think so. I got. Uh, I got some good things in the works. The bit parts, it's plural. That oh. stole my heart. Oh. It's plural. <laughs> the bit parts that stole my heart were Miss Spink and Miss Forcible. 
And they are the eccentric former burlesque dancers that live in the basement of the Pink Palace. And they live together, and they have this kind of weird lesbian vibe, but that's cool. <laughs> they do. <laughs> and they have a bunch of little Scotty dogs. There's very oh. weird lesbians living their best life. Yeah, so good for them. Good for them. But, again, like I said, they're these former burlesque dancers. Mm-hmm. Well, my idea for them is a story about when they were dancers during World War II. Oh, interesting. It's going to be very eerily similar. <laughs> To cabaret. Oh, I love it. However, to bring in the horror element of this, mm-hmm. they are going to be fighting Nazi zombies. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so you watched Cabaret and saw, like, the subtle World War II vibes and were like, what if that was zombies? <laughs> it's so funny how alike we think. <laughs> I figure that this is a great pull because it will be produced and funded by Call of Duty. Oh, given that Nazi zombies are sort of their MO. And it'll be very interesting. And anyways, they'll do some espionage related to the Nazis and then uncover this zombie plot where the soldiers never die. And then I like it. Go so on and so forth. And there's a bunch of spooky moments. I I like that. You got some zombies. You got a dash of Indiana Jones with that kind of Nazi mysticism. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, I I love it. Yeah. There's a lot going on in that film. There's a lot going on. High potential. I like that a lot. uh, So go ahead, Brenna, if you beat it, if you can. I don't, I don't know if I can quite beat that, but the zombie aspect I like, I might steal that. The character that stole my heart, and is quite frankly, I think, the best bit part in the movie, is Mr. B, who is the former Russian gymnast and uh, current president of the uh, Oregon Mice, Mouse Circus. Yes. Very cool, yes. He's a super cool guy, he's always doing flips and stuff, uh, keeping himself limber, And one of the pieces of trivia on IMDb about him, he's always wearing this medal on his chest, uh, which reads, Participant in the Cleanup Campaign, and then 4A3C, which means that he helped to clean up the Chernobyl power plant after its meltdown. Oh, wow. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which could explain why he's obviously insane. And kind of a weird color and, and yeah, very strange proportions. Yeah. 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 So my my movie pitch is about this young spry gymnast who maybe knows someone in the Chernobyl power plant and volunteers to help clean up because he wants to maybe he wants to get to the bottom of did this person escape? Did they die? He wants closure. Mm-hmm. Along mm-hmm. the way he meets irradiated zombies. Kind of like you son of a bitch. Eyes. Yeah, <laughs> it's stole, very spooky. You stole my plot. <laughs> I stole your plot, you but you stole my movie monster. I did, and I'm sorry. But you get out of uh, your characters get out of their zombie conflict with burlesque dancing, and mine gets out with sweet flips. Okay, sweet so flips. Is that yeah. parkour? Yeah, yeah, a little. Rather than that, it is 100 percent stolen. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Marshall, there's two zombie movies that are kind of on the table right now. And <laughs> okay. Those are, those are kind of a dime a dozen these days. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see if you have something that's better that can maybe save this episode. <laughs> Got something a little different here. My bit part is the uh, ghost who is uh, the sister of YB's grandma, Grandma Lovett. Nice. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's right. 
the the sister her twin that she lost to make that's why she's so afraid of the pink palace right that's right but mine is sort of gonna start i think it should be a a backstory on uh on this this little girl and uh their start at the pink palace and all that oh interesting so it's going to be a prequel to Coraline, (laughs) and your bit part character is mrs levette's twin sister who died a long time ago but it sounds like you're also going to include the Bell Dam. Yeah, it sounds like your antagonist is going to be the Bell Dam as opposed to the far superior zombies. That's right. I think yes, that's definitely how we're gonna how we're gonna play this. Yeah, Brendan doesn't sound convinced, but I think <laughs> that the Bell Dam is a great villain, great spooky movie villain and horror movie monster. Um, well, I'm and glad I think you that- think so. Thank you, Marsh. Yeah, it's 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 quite good. I, I also think that one of those ghosts, or all of those ghosts, or uh, any of the ghost children, make a good bit part character. Yeah. Uh, so awesome. so going back in time, a little prequel to Coraline about the Levats. To me, that sounds pretty good. Could yeah. Be pretty scary. It could definitely be scary, and I think that's what sells it for me is the the horror potential. And I, mm. I'd like to challenge us to have the stop motion aspect. Oh. So bring, it, bring Henry in. Bring him in. Bring him back. Guess what, Henry? I know what you're doing for the next three years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm down to pick Marshalls. I agree. I agree. And the stop motion really gets me, too. I like that idea a lot. And I think that his fits with that stop motion uh theme a little bit better than ours absolutely marshall what do you think you down i humbly accept fantastic marshall we're gonna go with your movie great about mrs lovat as a child and her twin sister Mm -hmm. and also include as our movie monster the bell dam again an excellent choice nice i want to pitch to you all a little intro uh, scene for this movie. Because oh, we need to okay. set the stage for the violence that's going to ensue. Yeah, all, the, all good horror movies hit you with something first, and yeah. then kind of go into their calm part. It's going to be a look into the other world, sort of in, in that tunnel towards the other world. Colorful, whimsical, etc. Mm-hmm. And we'll see a door on the other side open, and a little boy crawling kind of rapidly towards the the real world Mm -hmm. and then as the view is as the camera kind of moves ahead of him out of the out into the real world out into the living room he's about to crawl out and then the door slams shut and we hear like kind of scraping and dragging oh man then cut to an exterior of the pink palace and that's when we are introduced to our two main characters, the Levat twins. Right. We'll just call them like Abby and Gabby because they're not named in the film. I like that. Yeah. Make it easier on ourselves. Make yeah. it easy on ourselves. Yeah. With Abby being the bit part character. Let's call it that. Okay. I okay. like that. Yeah. Uh, or yes. I think Abby. Abby is the ghost. Abby is the ghost girl. Yes. Okay. Her sister mm-hmm. Gabby is Wyborn's grandmother. Okay. His grandma love it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. So now Marshall. Set a little bit of the scene as the twins meet the Pink Palace for the first time. It's got to be somewhere along the lines of Coraline, where the twins are unsatisfied with their current living conditions at the Pink Palace. 
nothing uh, to entertain themselves. They only have each other to keep themselves company, but that that only entertains them for so long. That's great. That's a good intro. Yeah. Uh, let's call it this because it's supposed to be kind of a specific point in time. It's right at the time of the Great Depression. Yes. Yeah. And okay. In a lot of places, people have lost their jobs and have lost loved ones and are and are struggling. Mm-hmm. And that's no different for the Lovats. Yes. However, in their case, they're lucky because their grandma, who recently passed away, left a apartment building in Oregon to their family. Interesting. Yes. Okay. I like so, that. And so the grandma passes right before they move and right in the midst of the Great Depression, and yes. they inherit, they see in the will, they inherit this pink palace. I like that. And that could cause some of the, let's say, dissatisfaction for these two young girls because their parents are struggling financially, trying to make ends meet. That's definitely true. So the yeah. parents are having go. having a really hard time. They Then the twins have to leave all of their friends and family. They don't quite get along so well together uh, yet. Um, and they have moved to rainy, dreary Ashland. Oregon town. I love it. Into love this it. drab and quickly dilapidating apartment building. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love the I love that it's a similar opening opening to Coraline, but the sister's angle I feel like is very interesting for me. So when they inherit this house from their grandmother, are there already residents living there, kind of like how Coraline came into it? Hmm. What do you think about that? Marshall, tell me what you think of this. I I'm thinking that yes. Okay. Because I want that to be a a component of the other world. I don't know necessarily how yet, but I like that. I want the like some of the other residents. So maybe there's like a a couple, an older couple in the basement. Oh, uh, interesting. Okay, they're 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 really weird, kind of like the residents of the Pink Palace when Coraline is there, and they're super terrified of the main house itself. Oh, I like that. Yeah. You know? But very yeah. unclear about why. Yeah. Vague about why, but yeah. Okay. No, that's good. And they could say, like, allude to a door, but obviously these weird adults are saying, don't go through the door. These kids find a cool small door. They're going to go, go through it. Yeah, they're going to go. go. Just like in Coraline, uh, and like Marshall said, they're they're getting kind of bored of, of their life, and they're really unsatisfied with, with how things are in Ashland and at the Pink Palace. Until they are led by, I don't know, let's say some, some random animal or some whatever. It could be the mice again. Nice, yeah. Into the other world. Guinea pig. Can be. Guinea pig. <laughs> Guinea pig. <laughs> when Abby and Gabby get into the other world, mm-hmm. then those neighbors are, are there. And, and okay. let's say that the, the, the woman in the couple is playing the role in this instance of the bell dam. I like that. Yeah. yeah. She obviously isn't in her creepy form yet. But I think we should do something to move it away from being a shot-for-shot shot remake of Coraline. Good idea. We shouldn't make it a recreation of their house. Maybe somewhere else where they feel comfortable. Uh, maybe, even though it's still the Pink Palace, when they go out of the door, they're in their old cul-de-sac in Oklahoma City or wherever they were from. Oh, I like that The a Great lot. Depression hit. I think that's really cool. And there's going to be, like, the little houses, instead of, like, the neighbors that are in Coraline, there's houses of their old friends and, like, uh, grandma and family and everything like that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I I like that a lot. So they're really endeared to this other world because it's so much like what they were comfortable and happy in in the Midwest. Yeah, I really like that. I'm picturing kind of, like, 
in the movie To Kill a Mockingbird, the street that they grew up on uh, has a big impact on their development. But it's all kind of funky and uh, mystical the way that it is in Coraline. And, and so there, there's all these like subtle differences. But oh, you know what? Before, before we go on, I think we should cast Abby and Gabby. Okay, that's a good idea. Um, because I want to kind of set the, the stage for that. And, and also, I really want to cast the Bell Dam. Oh, good idea. Okay. Yeah, but I don't know who yet. But I have a good idea for Abby and Gabby. Okay. And they're starting to come up in, in the movie world because one of them was just cast controversially, I should say, <laughs> cast stupidly controversially. Stupidly controversially. As mm-hmm. the Little Mermaid. Yeah. Yes. I love that actress. Yeah. Halle, Halle Bailey. Uh-huh. Halle Berry. Cat, Catwoman. Catwoman. Yes, <laughs> she played Catwoman. <laughs> Halle Bailey and her sister, Chloe Bailey would, I think, be perfect for Abby and Gabby Lovett. I didn't know she had a sister. Yeah. Oh, that's, that works out perfectly. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Speaking of cat women and cat people, are we going to have a small naked Keith David in this one? Yes, a small naked Keith David has to be, again, the connection between the real world and the uh, other world. I like it. I that's think he should perfect. be like a cat that they kind of find kind of mangy in the real world uh-huh. and then very luxurious in the other world, but he's obviously always skeptical about uh, people coming in and he's... He, oh, that's he's, a good idea. He's, he's helpful. He's kind. Yeah, yeah. Marshall, do you have an idea of who can play the Bell Dam? Remember, she has to be able to kind of pull off that nice, kind, but straightforward voice and then also... Uh, have kind of a creepy, more angry personality. Yeah, kind of a, a darker side. Yeah, definitely. So like like a uh, like a Robin Wright type person. Robin Wright's a good one. I, I can see her voice because it, it's it's calming in some instances, but it's also very forceful. Yeah, in, in a lot of her right. roles. Yeah, she'd be really good. Okay, so we have a pretty good cast going. We have the the Bailey twins. We have Robin Wright, and we have a very naked Keith David. <laughs> it's perfect it's perfect it's as things start to kind of unwind for for the twins and they're presented with their opportunity to to switch their eyes they i think they go back and forth they i think that they more than Coraline, really hate their life in in the pink palace in the real world yeah that's true and And because there's two of them maybe they can have more back and forth than Coraline did it could be that or it could be that abby who is, again, uh, the one that eventually becomes the ghost girl, she's feeling like she very much wants to stay in the world, and Gabby is feeling like, I don't really trust it. I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical. That's interesting. Oh, I'd almost, with all the talking we've been doing, I forgot that one actually has to stay. Yeah, exactly. And I think that what Gabby starts to see the, the world in a more terrifying way, mm-hmm. and so that's when you kind of get those spooky elements where, where she's seeing things like kind of behind the, the mask. I like that. And and it's starting to be really creepy to her and she's seeing more ghosts and she's like having trouble getting out when she wants to go back just to like, even if she's like trying to trick the Bell Dam, like, I just want to pack or I just want to bring some oh, of my yeah. own clothes. Yeah. And the Bell Dam is convincing them both, like, you don't need to go back there. Like, there's nothing. And she, Gabby, YB's grandma, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. trying to escape and, and she's trying to convince Abby that it's a good idea to go back with her. But Abby is feeling more and more like she wants to, she's either like possessed or she mm-hmm. just like, is, is I think, has like lost it yeah i think she she just gets too i guess too comfortable and doesn't yeah. really know that going back is the better option she loses you her know? senses a little bit and i, I think yeah. that 
in order to distinguish these twins, we can establish early on that they have very they have pretty different personalities, and maybe that could lead one to stay, one to go. Definitely, so Definitely. Yeah. at the very end, I think we know that what what has to happen. It's it's going to be a sad ending mm-hmm. because I think that Gabby is caught in the Bell Dam's web, and the Bell Dam has transformed into this terrifying monster. Yep. Right as soon as Abby allows her to sew her eyes out. Or, or to sew the buttons in her eyes. Yeah. Mm. And so that is a horrific scene. Yeah. Where Gotta happen. It has to happen, but Gabby has to watch her sister have her eyes removed and then buttons sewn in them. <laughs> and yeah. the big reveal has got to be terrifying. But at that time, again, Keith David swoops in. and yeah, I like that. I yep. think that Gabby can think one more time that she's able to save Abby. Oh, uh, but yeah. But it's clear that that she's completely lost her mind. And so she has to run. Yeah. And uh, So Gabby just has to escape with exactly. naked Keith David. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I like that. That would be that would be tough. That's heartbreaking. There's no easy way to end this film. No. Yeah. But no. one last look back at the sister before she yeah. like, uh, flies through the door. That's yeah. how horror yeah. movies go sometimes, you know? Yeah. It's sad sometimes. Yeah, yeah. That's heartbreaking. That'd be tough. That'd be really tough. Um... I just want to, uh, you know, lighten the mood a little bit. Yeah. How is Jeff Goldblum going to be? In this <laughs> <laughs> oh. Where does he come in? Uh, well, you mentioned Weird Neighbors, and I think that that's the role that Jeff Goldblum was born for. <laughs> oh my he god, yeah, perfectly in that category. He can be the husband of the the woman that lives in the basement. Yeah. that portrays the Bell Dam. Yes, in, yeah. in the other world. Okay. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, that's perfect. Yeah. In one, in the real world, he's weird off-putting Jeff Goldblum, which he does so well. Yeah. And in the <laughs> other world, he's his normal charming self. Exactly, yeah. yes. When he's off-putting, he's acting. Yeah. <laughs> when he's charming, he's normal. That's Jeff Goldblum, baby. That's, that's classic Goldblum. <laughs> okay, perfect. So, uh, the, the film is complete. It's done. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. With a little Jeff Goldblum bow. What (laughs) is the title of this film? Have Beat Make You Strong. (laughs) Which is my favorite line from the movie. Is that what the dad says? That's what the uh, the Russian, that's what Mr. B says. Have Beat Make You Strong. (laughs) Hmm. Well, when when Coraline is defeating the Bell Dam, she says that you have to visit the three wonders that, uh, Uh that I created for you. Yeah, that that was a cool title to me, but I don't know if it fits so well into this one. I don't think we're going to have a game playing component to this film. Yeah, yeah, at least not one that fits that closely. Uh, what about like just like the Pink Palace? I think that's that's a pretty good since they inherit it in the movie. I think that'd be a good way to to showcase. Oh, I like that. The, the Pink Palace is that's pretty pink good. Palace. So that's the pink a good. Palace. The Pink, the pink Palace. Palace. Yeah, I could, I could definitely yeah, do I that one. Behind that, it's not necessarily a Halloween. Maybe it has to have something, a little aspect of it, like the terror at the Pink Palace. Terror at the Pink Palace? Or Nightmare at the Pink Palace. Mm. <laughs> I like Nightmare at the Pink Palace. Nightmare <laughs> at the Pink Palace really pulls everything together from all of the, the canon of, of Henry <laughs> Selleck. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tim Burton's right. Nightmare at the Pink Palace. Nightmare at the Pink Palace and the Giant Peach. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just, let's just keep it at Nightmare at the Pink Palace. Yeah, I like that. Presented like by Tim Burton. <laughs> Directed by Henry Selleck.
Well, after this film is created in the next five years, because this is going to be the longest stop motion film of all time, <laughs> we're going for the record. Oh, they're going to probably... make so many faces. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're going to have to make a ton of faces. <laughs> but after it's finally released, then uh, I hope that it'll make a lot of money. But we get our money up front. Yep. Right away. Yep. Yeah, for selling the storyline. We're asking for our usual $4 million and a great big bag of candy. Nice. In honor of Halloween. <laughs> nice. And Twizzlers, please. <laughs> one ton of Twizzlers. <laughs> the worst. America's finest candy. America's made from the <laughs> finest <laughs> candle wax. Nothing but red vines for me. <laughs> Twizzlers are like the slightly more exciting red vines. <laughs> In elementary school, did anybody else... Was that like the only candy that every teacher had was red vines? Red vines all the oh, time, yeah. I that, fucking that hated giant, those. I feel like if you made a chart of my like red vine consumption, it would spike <laughs> from second to fifth grade and then be zero. <laughs> <laughs> that is the worst candy. <laughs> so bad. Do they still sell that? They uh, must. I don't want to get off topic, but... Are they still vines? sell circus peanuts, and those are horrible. But yeah, they still have the same exact container, too, that every teacher had under their desk. That was horrible. Three <laughs> and a half pound tub. <laughs> There's so many better candies out there. You could give Elementary it. school teachers, get your shit together. Yeah. I don't know if you're still doing this. If you're still doing this crap, stop. <laughs> Anyways. What was I talking about? <laughs> oh, a bag of candy and money. <laughs> and re- don't forget... As we've talked about a lot this season, the spending of the Halloween candy is, uh, is, sorry, the spending of the spending. money. <laughs> this should suffice. <laughs> One no, million dollars in red vines. <laughs> no, 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 no. I never use my money like that. We're going to spend the money as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to blow it on some pretty dope shit. Oh, yeah. Brendan, I want to know... What are you going to do with your $1.25 million? With my $1.25 million, I'm going to take inspiration from uh, a really cool scene in the movie where the parents in the other world have created this beautiful, lush garden mm. in the shape of Coraline's face. Yes. So I'm going to create a garden that perfectly represents my face. I don't uh. know where I'm going to put it because we do live in an apartment. Right. But maybe like on the rooftop of the building next door. Okay. So I could see it every day. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. I think that'd be cool. And this is a podcast, so nobody knows what your face looks like. But <laughs> could you maybe describe what flower you would use as your as your like skin tone or lip or eye color? Mm. What's a funny flower? Because <laughs> I mean Coraline works for Coraline because her features are are, are cartoonish. cartoonish. Yeah, they're like purple hair and or blue hair and et cetera. <laughs> You're just like uh, kind of a normal white guy. I feel like if you used <laughs> some sunflowers and then, uh, could, could we use like AstroTurf and spray it? No, like right. skin color. <laughs> I, I, I've done you a little favor, Brent. I'm okay. looking up some flowers that are, are like kind of white tone. Okay. And I'm seeing like things like daffodils and gardenias and, uh, and maybe like throwing a little hibiscus on nice. your cheeks to, to make get... them rosy. <laughs> Those go. are all like light, light-colored flowers, peonies. And, wow, there are a lot of flowers. Yeah, learning so much. That'll work. Flowers. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but anyways, the, the garden is over on some other adjacent building, and yes. then you're able to look at it. Yeah. That's very nice. Yeah. You could definitely do that for a million dollars. 
Marshall, what are you, what are you going to use your uh, 1.25 on? So my 1.25 is going toward a piano that plays me, like uh, <laughs> like Coraline's dad, other father has. Now we've all heard of like you know self playing pianos, sure. But we've never heard of a piano that plays you. Sick of being played by these pianos. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, that's pretty cool, Marsh. You yeah, have the like cartoonish gloves that come out of the the top. Yeah, I feel like that makes it. That's what makes it cool. Exactly. So, like, if there's you know, if there's a song that people want to hear, I'm like, I don't know that one. Let me let the piano play me and play this song. So then we'll we'll do that. You know. That'd nice. Pretty cool. Yeah. Good party like trick. What are you gonna do with your with your 1.25, Jared? I've been thinking about this a lot, and I was inspired a little bit by the setting being in the Pacific Northwest. I think I'm going to look for a bed and breakfast that I can purchase in or around Oregon. Love it. Yeah. Love it. So I found this website called InShopper. InShopper. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. I-N-N Love Shopper, it. yes. And uh, they have a bed and breakfast for sale. <laughs> really? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Looking kind of weird. <laughs> for how much? Well, you know, they they vary depending on the size of the lot and oh, that the, makes sense. the yeah. house and uh, where it is. But I thought that that's kind of cool and creepy. That's Yeah, and that's super creepy. So now cre- canonically, we will both have all have a creepy bed and breakfast in Washington from our ring episode. And you will have a creepy bed and breakfast in Oregon. Oh, I forgot that that was something that you had pitched before, and I regret doing this and making this decision. No, no, no we're cornering the market. I will have the whole Pacific Northwest. It'll turn into a bed and breakfast empire. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. That's a really good idea. I'm going to do that. That's perfect. I don't will know. Will one of the I houses be it. pink? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. 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 Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. For a bit party in the Potter Brothers. You gotta do, you gotta do it spooky. <laughs> okay. Um, just wish everyone a happy ho- Halloween, even though we'll be back for one more episode. Okay, okay. Happy Halloween for Bit Party. Uh, and for Bit Party in the Potter Brothers, I'm Frankenstein Kata. <laughs> I'm Dracula Kata. And I'm Werewolf Kata. Look out for Nightmare at the Pink Palace. I'm gonna do a theater near you. <laughs>